welcome to the RHS Gardening Podcast. In this episode, we discuss how the RHS's best kept secret, a dedicated magazine for plant lovers, is getting a new lease of life. We also profile the return of one of the 70s and 80s most popular plants, the chrysanthemum, and hear tips on how to keep your lawns healthy this autumn. I'm Gareth Richards, Digital Features Editor for the RHS website. This means I get to keep an eye on our web and our podcast content. I also write articles for the website and sometimes for the Garden Magazine too. But the Garden isn't the only RHS publication out there for keen gardeners. Also based in our office is The Plantsman. Published four times a year, it takes an in-depth look at the bizarre, brilliant and beautiful plants that grow in gardens and in the wild. One article that I saw recently that really inspired me was an article called In Pursuit of Ungrowable Plants. And this is about the incredible plants that grow on the mountains of East Africa. We think of Africa as being this place that's incredibly hot, but actually there's mountains there that are high enough to have glaciers on them. And you get all kinds of incredible alpine and temperate plants on their slopes. So, for example, you can get lobelias, which we know as hanging basket plants, but they're isolated close to these glaciers, They've evolved into trees and they're pollinated by sunbirds and I just found that absolutely incredible. The magazine is celebrating its 40th birthday this year and what better way to celebrate its anniversary than to get a new look and an updated name. And so from September it'll be known as the Plant Review. James Armitage is the editor and here he is to explain the change. We decided to change the name of the Plantsman because it's a magazine for people who love plants and it's not in any way political, but we felt that the name had become a little bit political. People started to object to the lack of gender neutrality in it and it was beginning to irritate people and get in the way, really, of discussing plants. And the other thing is, I think, that the Plantsman could sound a little bit intimidating for people. I've said that it's a magazine for plant lovers, but that is the only requirement. And so you don't have to feel that you're, you know, sort of uh, chairman of some grand society or a head gardener or anything like that. You only have to love plants. That's the only requirement you need to read it and you will find enjoyment in every issue. The Plantsman magazine began in 1979 and it was begun by a man called Hugh Johnson who's an eminent garden writer and wine aficionado and he realised that as the RHS was growing so the membership magazine that was produced which is then the Journal of the Royal Horticultural Society needed to be a bit broader in its interests and so he felt that there was a gap left for a magazine specifically for people who really loved plants and just couldn't get enough of them. Uh, We've redesigned the magazine and it's been really a a year in development and we've worked with the RHS designer and I think we've come up with something that that I'm really thrilled with. It really looks like a high quality magazine now so that the, the layout and the design and the picture quality really matches the content which has always been extremely high. The first edition of uh, the Plant Review is an example of just how eclectic the world of garden plants is. We've got a report of the RHS Agapanthus trial and all the amazing AGM cultivars that come from that. The John McLeod lecture, which takes place in November. 
quirky article on a troop of belladonna, another on osmanthus breeding in China, aquascaping in your own living room, the science of autumn colour, Owen Johnson, the tree registrar writing about urban trees, a Madeiran botanical garden and all the latest news and book reviews and uh, updates from the world of plant classification. I love being editor of the Plant Review because it allows me to delve into the incredibly diverse world of garden plants. There's something for everybody in plants and it's, it gives you a way to examine the world. I think that about any interest really, whether it's stamp collecting or cooking, it gives you a way of approaching the world and that's what plants are to me and I hope to our readers. You can reflect on the world and different cultures and different places and different experiences through the, the prism of plants and that's what I really endeavour to do with the magazine. It's funny how particular plants uh, can capture your entire attention at times. When I was in China in May, I saw a little hedging plant called Ligustrum japonicum howardii, and it covered miles and miles and miles of highway. And so when I came back to the UK, I looked for this in Plant Finder. I looked for it in the Hillier Manual, and could I find it? Could I thump? And nowhere could I get hold of this thing. But then one day, just wandering around a local garden centre in Peterborough, I saw two plants of it, and I nearly fell over. Anyway, I bought them both, and I've got them in my garden now, so I was really, really chuffed. They don't look in perfect order, but they will do after they bed it in a bit. But it's a golden-leafed plant, and it should be more widely grown. I don't know why it isn't. The plant review over the coming year and the coming years, I want to really develop the editorial content along the lines that we have been doing. To me... It should be like a junk shop, just full of eclectic, wonderful things from around the world. Something to take the uh, eye and distract the imagination in every issue. And that's what I want to achieve. Next week, we'll be taking over the Garden podcast for one edition. And we'll be lucky enough to talk to Roy Lancaster in his own garden in Hampshire. We'll be talking to John Grimshaw, the director of the Yorkshire Arboretum, about his time plant hunting in East Africa. And we'll have desert island plants from previous editors. You can find links to subscribe to The Plant Review on our programme page at rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. At this year's Tatton Park Flower Show, RHS Master Grower was Chrysanthemums Direct, a nursery he grow, you've guessed it, chrysanthemums. After a peak in the late 1970s and early 80s, these iconic plants sadly fell out of fashion. However, they're now springing back into gardens across the country. I haven't quite found space in my tiny, tiny urban garden, but I do grow them on the allotment. And one of the things I love about them the most is when you cut them and you strip the leaves off, to put them in a vase, that scent is just, to me, it's the beginning of autumn. It's like you've distilled the colour green into a scent. I absolutely love it. And they last for ages in the vase. We spoke to the manager of Chrysanthemums Direct, Martin Flint, to find out why this plant is back in gardeners' good books. Why chrysanthemums for us? The nursery's been established uh, since 1958, so it's a long-established nursery. Always grown a great range of different cut flowers and other produce, but in the late 70s, early 80s, they decided to settle on growing chrysanthemums. It was a very popular thing then. There were lots of nurseries doing it. Now we're the last nursery left in the UK who grow cut flower chrysanthemums on a large scale. I think chrysanthemums dropped out of fashion a bit like dahlias did a few years ago and things go round in fashions and and cycles. 
what we find now is that a lot of younger people remember their grandparents growing chrysanthemums, sort of growing up with them, and so they're getting back into it as a nostalgia thing almost. But they do make a fantastic cut flower for the garden or for garden decoration, flowering late on in the year when there's not so many other things in flower. The classic chrysanthemum is the, the traditional in-curved chrysanthemum, which makes a nice tight ball, six, seven inches across, in a variety of colours, whites, yellows, pinks, purples. Um, and that, that's what people think of, I think, as a classic chrysanthemum. I, like those people, like the incurved um, chrysanthemums, we have an exclusive range called the Misty series, uh, which are real good, easy doers. They grow well outside, flower well, and it's the same variety that we use to grow commercially, so it's a good, tough variety. The best tips, the easiest sort of growing tips, are out in the garden, sunny spot, fairly well-drained soil. So long as you're growing the September-October flowering ones, they're fine outside anywhere in the country. They'll grow perfectly well. There are later flowering ones, flower November, December, up till Christmas time. They need a bit more protection, so they have to come into a cold greenhouse for flowering time at the end of the year. But really, the chrysanthemums are easy to grow outside. The most common mistake is trying to grow them in the shade. They want to be in full sun out in the garden. And another thing people don't do is stop the plant. So as a young plant, when it gets up to nine inches high, you pinch the tip out just to make them bush out so you get a nice bushy plant with plenty of flower. If you don't do that, you just get a long straggly plant with not too much flower on it. In terms of good varieties to grow out in the garden, the Misty Range, which I mentioned earlier, um, are very good if you want a large bloom variety. For the smaller flowered spray types, things like Enby Wedding and all the different colours of that, and Talbot Parade, which is a double spray variety, again in a range of different colours, they're good doers out in the garden. Growing them as a commercial cut flower crop, they always present a challenge. But when you get it right, the results are amazing. So yes, I do love chrysanthemums. Martin Flint of Chrysanthemums Direct. And now, lawn care. Lawns are in many gardens across the country, unfortunately not mine, but they're often overlooked. To me, one of the joys of this time of the year is when you step out in bare feet onto that dew-laden grass in the morning and it's just really begun to green up again after the summer. And that's a real kind of sensual pleasure of having a lawn. But how do you make sure that your grass is green and luscious and not tired and worn out? Hello, my name's David Hedges-Gow. I'm a lawn consultant and a lawn expert. I think the three main things that I, I talk about, whether it's been a, a hot summer or, or even a wet summer, oxygen, air, all plants need air. Our lawns very rarely get the, uh, the air that they actually need. I certainly recommend doing things like hollow tine aeration on a, certainly a yearly basis, but leading into the autumn is a great time to get some nutrients working some compaction relief in the ground as well 
and overall plant health looking better as well. The second thing would be pruning our lawn. We actually call it scarification, but it's essentially pruning our native grasses it's, and it's allowing the grasses to flourish a lot, lot healthier. The last thing really, I suppose, would be to continue mowing. I think most people tend to put their lawns to bed in maybe October time, cut them a little bit too short and hope to not see them again until uh, springtime. Whereas, you know, I have a saying which if it doesn't stop growing, don't stop mowing. It's a pruning technique and it's a necessity. So if it grows, cut it. The plant will love it. It's creating new growth and creating density within your lawn. That's exactly what pruning does. So they're the three tips, really. And uh, if you do those, you'll certainly improve your lawn, given the summer that we just had last year as well. I was a pro golfer that got injured. I suppose some of it was being a petulant teenager. I kind of thought, I'm not going to be a professional anymore, so I'm not going to even try. So I gave up golf. But I enjoyed being outdoors. I enjoyed the golf industry. And then I wanted to be the best at what I did. And and I managed to have the privilege of running probably the, the most immaculately presented golf course in probably in Europe. For many, many years, we hosted a few televised events as well. So it's a great privilege. And, and from there, I guess I actually got to 40 years of age and wanted to do something else for 25 years. So that's where I moved into lawn care. So it wasn't very far away from, from what I was doing, but, but a completely different ball game. You know, everything's very regimented in the golf industry. You know, you know what you're doing 12 months before you do it. You just adjust programs. Whereas obviously domestic lawn care, whether it be in a billionaire's house or or Mrs. Smith around the road, it's all the same. The um, scarification or pruning technique um, in this country is done on a sort of curative basis. We get advised often to use things like springbok rakes which actually do part of the process by removing and controlling thatch. But what they don't do is actually prune the plant. The use of scarification blades on a machine actually prune the plant and actually get it to regenerate from within itself. So that's the first thing. And then, of course, the garden fork. Both of those items are designed for... Certainly one with obviously leaves and the, the garden fork was designed for digging over vegetable beds. Yes, it makes holes in the lawn, but so do my stilettos. But anything can make a hole, but it's got to do the right job for the... got to do maximum benefit for the minimum amount of input, and that's why things like hollow tie aeration are far, far better than using a garden fork. One of the things about most people's lawns that I go to is people don't mow very well. We have things called rotary mowers now, which are obviously affordable to us all, but we don't sharpen the blades very often. And when we don't sharpen the blades, the plant actually can work backwards it can go yellow it can go peaky it can go horrible so sharpening blades on a regular basis even if you buy spare blades for example but keep it sharp you'd be surprised how green you can keep your lawn as well and finally we've made some technical changes behind the scenes on our podcast feed so if you're not receiving your episode automatically anymore just hit unsubscribe and then resubscribe on your favorite podcast app and that way you should continue to get all the episodes automatically that's almost it for this episode we'll be back in a fortnight in the meantime i'm going to be busy in my greenhouse on the allotment i'll be sowing some winter salads so what i like to do this time of year is i just sow a few rocket mizuna Moroccan and Greek cress, a few mustards and things, in some modules, 
and then they're ready to plant in the greenhouse borders when the tomatoes finish in late October. And that way I get fresh salad right through the winter. It's a really good tip if you've got a greenhouse and a bit of, bit of space in there to give yourself some fresh greens right through the winter. Let's finish by hearing another joyful garden memory. From me, Gareth Richards and all the RHS podcast team, goodbye. I'm Jelaine Rickards and I'm a professional garden designer. My earliest joyful gardening memory is lying on my patio, my mother's patio actually, and she had grown within a a lift paving slab, she had grown a little plant called uh, mesembryanthemum. I remember it being a vivid pink with lots and lots of petals, almost like a marigold in its shape, but dainty. And it was a hot sunny day filled with clouds and the shadows of the clouds would last five minutes. And when the clouds came, I remember watching the flowers shut. And when the sun came out, I remember watching them open. I think I was there all afternoon watching that. I think the memory is very special to me still because uh, my mother has passed away now and it still reminds me of her. So whenever I think of that memory, I think of my mum and her love of gardening and how that's led me into my career. My name is Miki Sato. I'm originally from Japan and I'm garden designer. My joyful garden memory is when I was a little child, I lived with my grandfather and grandmother and my mom and dad. And uh, there is a small garden my grandfather made. And there is a very beautiful peonies, a lot of color of peonies he collected. And also there is a rhododendron and taxas, a lot of flowers. So I was grow up with flowers and I had a Japanese tea with him at the garden. It was my first good memory about gardening. (laughs) 